0: As an industry, let's try to figure out ways of not having the problem be a problem. But with Generative AI, with the innovation, they're going to continue focusing on surfacing more and more security issues. They will be disruptive. Interestingly, Generative AI actually puts the existing security products in the best position to innovate and get ahead
1: Greetings, listeners, and welcome to Seeding AppSec, the podcast where we discuss the latest trends in application security and talk shop with AppSec leaders and practitioners from around the globe. Seeding AppSec is brought to you by Arnica, a leading application security solution changing how AppSec teams approach risk identification and mitigation. Arnica is shifting the AppSec paradigm with real-time pipelineless risk identification and Git posture management, allowing teams to protect their developers, their code, and their products while maintaining development velocity. Check out arnica.io to learn more. In the meantime, sit back and get ready for another enlightening journey into the world of application security. Welcome, welcome to the third episode of Seeding AppSec. I'm here with my co host, Nir Valtman, and our guest today, Teja Manidu from Navon. Before we get started, I would love to have you do a little bit of an intro, Teja, on who you are, a little bit on your background, and then we can dive in on today's topic. Thanks, Simon.
0: Teja Manidu, I lead product security at Noon, was at a few large and small companies here in the Bay Area and actually in the Midwest too before this. And have been a security practitioner almost all my life and accidentally switched into management and decided there's enough interesting things there, I guess, to to learn and grow as well. And Mm -hmm. so continuing to be here mostly because I'm fortunate to work with a lot of very smart people who keep me on my toes and leading teams and seeing their impact is great, but I still enjoy going deep into application security infrastructure security and all other parts detection and response the technology behind it and seeing how things are evolving
1: excellent excellent well today's topic we're going to be talking about finding evaluating and implementing innovation in your appsec practice which i'm very excited to be a bit of a fly on the wall for this one uh, but before we dive in, you know, Teja, I'd, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about your journey in security. You mentioned you were a practitioner for a long time, you've moved into management, but but maybe give us a little bit of your origin story of how you ended up in security in the first place and how you progressed from there.
0: Yeah, it's a story about how some, someone pulled me into thinking security was cool, I guess. Or basically, there, there's a guy and i grew up in india so this is a well-known fact at least people who, who are from india there was a guy who had these books around ethical hacking and it was like a super big figure in like him on newspapers and he made hacking seem cool i guess at least made it seem like there was some sort of mystery to it or and then i started taking cryptography classes was not great at learning them also i think the material around teaching cryptography wasn't great back then but really i, I I pursued that. I did my masters at Iowa State. I landed up from India straight up in Iowa. And fortunately, I was okay because I didn't I guess have too many expectations watching Hollywood movies about like how Iowa looks like, but a lot of my friends were disappointed. That's a side story. But really did my masters and then ended up in, in information security and then ended up trying to find a job which was really hard around the 2008-2009 period and the only company that would hire me and let me be on a visa was a Union Pacific Railroad in Omaha, Nebraska. So it was a very fun beginning. So I guess I chose between a software developer job at IBM in the Bay Area and the security job in Omaha, Nebraska. And people were like, are you crazy? Like, this job is paying you more. It's Bay Area. It's California. And I was like, well, I want to do security. And this is that opportunity I've been waiting for forever, right? So that's where I ended up getting into actual security and realized how it's very different from what I had imagined,
1: but still very fun. So I ended up continuing there. That is an awesome origin story. And I'd have to say, I've spent like a, an inordinate amount of time actually in Iowa. I would travel there in, in college for track and field. And then I was working in the managed security services space which brought me to Iowa more than you would think, but quite a bit. So it, it's a good place. I don't think a lot of people
0: realize that, I guess I, I tell a lot of my friends, who you know, went to like USC or NYU for school and I tell them, Hey, you haven't seen the real America yet. I have like, I, I've, I've lived in the Midwest and been in other places. Not a lot of people South have the Chicago, Midwest, the real Midwest. Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Awesome.
1: Well, man, there, there's so much going on right now in in security, and I would say just across the board, it seems like every one to two years there's sort of a new buzzy term: shift left, Casby, passwordless. Now we're in it with Gen AI. How do you identify what is real and what is not in terms of security innovation? Yeah. I'm- Mostly, the, there's two aspects to it, right? One
0: is I'm evaluating that question in my current context of like the organization I'm working in as my what I'm doing in my day job. And the other aspect of it is generally speaking, how are things evolving, right? And the answer is slightly different for each of those. At my day job, I'm usually applying it to the context of like, hey, what works in my context, my organization's context. A lot of times I spend a lot more time looking at the other piece of it, which is, hey, what trends are emerging. And I usually ask three questions, right? What problem is it solving? Right. And I am able to go, I guess, deeper into what problem it's solving because I've looked at that problem from a couple of different contexts. And more importantly, I do have again a great group of colleagues, friends who I constantly discuss with their problems right and my problems look different from their problems so when i'm listening to that problem statement i'm truly asking a follow-up question right the second question is how many people have the same problem right like across different organizations in different contexts how many people have the same problem or a flavor of that problem right and and that matters when you're thinking about that innovation hey what flavor of the problem maybe you're solving as well and finally, I, I usually look at what their vision is. And this sort of ties together the first two questions. When I hear someone who's actually trying to solve a problem describe their vision for it, it kind of gives me a sense of how well they understand the problem they're solving, what what choices have they made in, in, in determining what flavor of the problem they're solving, and who are they solving for right, in the persona. So that usually tells me about the understanding of the problem, what's what it tells me more is sort of how they're pushing the boundaries on the existing body of knowledge, right? Sometimes, I, actually not sometimes, Like almost in every case that I'm seeing these days, most products are able to copy features off of each other pretty quickly. And the ones that I see end up winning are the ones who actually are pushing that boundary on that body of knowledge a little bit. And that I think is the key to, you know, success in the long-term.
1: Having just come back from Black Hat, I, I can definitely attest to the similarities between the hundreds of dashboards as you walk through the conference floor. So, but anyway, I digress. I think that it's,
2: you know, the questions that you ask while well, you look at the world of problem, I really like that. You, you come from the, what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? And then you seek for a solution. Um, you know, sometimes those solutions can end up with getting a vendor to solve it for you. And sometimes those solutions can be something internal that you can do in your own company. How do you make a decision whether you want to solve it internally or you want to get a vendor to solve it for you? I mean,
0: I, I, I fundamentally believe in buying over building if I can. And my belief there is, and, and the if I can part is very important, right? And what I'm, I'll, I'll get into the nuance I think if there is a problem that I'm solving, which is common across the board, I think a vendor is in a better position to solve that problem, just given how they are incentivized to and focused on that problem and incentivized to go much deeper on that problem, right? The only variable there, which is the hardest, is the flavor of the problem I'm talking about. In my context, do I have a unique set of... uh, Organizational variables, technology choices, which don't have generally a good solution across the board. So the things vendors, I guess, are not incentivized to build are things which are very specific. I I don't think you know static analysis tools may be focused on OCaml as a language. If I have OCaml as a problem as a main problem in my organization, right? So things like that, where I I, I tend to look at those variables, which Matter quite a bit, but uh, when I move from a POC phase to actual adoption phase, and then I, I start discovering the edges of the product where it doesn't do well, so that's my decision-making process. Usually, I think there's if there's a problem worth solving, there's a business that's being built around it, and it's a matter of finding that business. But if that version, sorry, if that version of the problem isn't big enough. To be solved, then that's my problem. My try to build solutions around it.
2: Okay, so so let's say you're you know you network with people. Obviously, that's how I met you. You're a member of, of multiple professional groups, and and at the end of the day, you speak with people about the problems that you want to solve. How do you find the ways to solve those problems? I that
0: that's a very good question. The ways to solve those problems. I like, first of all, like I think i i I have some solutions in my mind right in a sense that like I, a little, before I even start talking to a vendor, I want to first sit down and figure out what makes sense for me right but like, what is the actual problem in my organizational context and how would I solve it if it were me right so that's i think that sets the tone for what sort of am I looking for, and I try not to when I talk to peers in in my professional groups not to influence their answers when i'm asking the questions by defining my vision for it i keep my vision to myself i just try to keep things open-ended and ask people hey well, who have you seen in the space who's who's good who's bad find opinions right and yeah and I, like i said once I, I find a set of people set of vendors and go go talk to them first if they align with my vision that's good if they do things differently from my vision and they actually have a cooler version of the solution than I, I could imagine or any of my team members could imagine, that's great. right? Like I think that's like, okay, this is really pushing the boundaries on, oh, like what we could imagine with all our knowledge so far of the industry, of all the existing tools, you came up with something which was previously not part of or not known. And on top of it, you're you have, I guess, not just the next step or like one cool feature, you have your vision defined around it. I think that would make a huge difference for me to say, hey, this is pretty cool. I think we should actually look at it seriously.
2: You mentioned something very interesting. And that's also tied to, you know, how I made certain decisions on buying products in the past or building products, whatever that that made sense. You mentioned that you look at that solution and you look at the vision. And, you know, maybe in many cases when you have a problem in the context of innovation, right? It's a fairly new problem that you have that, that you want to solve. Sometimes there are vendors in the space. Sometimes there is an open source of the space. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, most solutions will not be fully baked to your needs. And you mentioned a vision that is important. So when you bring, like, an innovation project, what are the most important pieces for you? I understand that vision is, like, how, like, how do you want to solve it long-term, but how do you look at, hey, I, I need to solve something tomorrow? Like, I,
0: I think you answered part of the question, right? like, I need to solve something tomorrow. I think that's one, like, first thing. Like, I need to solve something tomorrow, like, as soon as possible, right? Like, it doesn't have to be the whole problem, but I need to solve... A piece of the problem because part of my role is making sure I show my organization value. I'm actually reducing risk in my organization as soon as possible. And one of the challenges with most products I've seen, I guess, especially sometimes in the early stages, is that time to value is a little longer. And especially with application security products, it could be, I, I mean, we've seen the trend of all the application security tools creating more work than actually creating value instantly. And it's always, hey, you adopt a solution. It takes some time for you to actually sift through the false positive or tune the solution or give it more context or do whatever it takes. And eventually, three months down the line, you get real results. Now, it's very easy for security practitioners, actually, if, if, again, if people are smart about their pitch and their spin, they might say, oh, look, how many things you found, right? And people may not see through the fact that what they're telling everybody is, look, how much work we're doing, but we're not like, really getting any results. And I think most people have started to see through that, right? Most people are like, okay, you spent three months, but what is the outcome? And that's the hard question to answer. So biggest one is, hey, how quickly can I get, start getting value out of it? And you know, and at that point, it is the rate of acceleration. And okay, we can start somewhere with a certain velocity, quarter over quarter. How much more am I able to get through that? And like you're right, everything, every solution has has to be customized to my problem set. But I think I expect there's a set of baseline things you may be able to do out of box, which are able to provide value immediately, and ideally with fewer cycles from my team or from like actually even sister teams like sre teams or some of the developer pipeline teams because it's hard enough for my team to spend like three three weeks or four weeks to, to get something off the ground if i have to get time from those other teams i think this is an organizational reality for many people it's a lot of hey persuading them to do something by the way which is not product facing or externally facing right so those teams are like hey you know, I have more important things things to do. There's engineering that I need to support. Security comes sort of later in, in that list. And so,
1: yeah, like how time to adoption, time to value. That's such an interesting point in AppSec specifically, right? Because I think that, speaking of a buzzy term, shift left. So I think for the last handful of years, we've seen all of these vendors come out with their shift left solution. But what we weren't being... I think honest about was it was work that was being shift left. It was effort that was being shift left. And so now you have these developers who are saying shift, don't shift left, you know, but if you can shift automation and mitigation and ease left, that obviously is a completely different dynamic between the AppSec and the development team. It's a great call out. Tasha, when you're thinking about maintaining innovation in your AppSec practice, where do you look? Where do you avoid? Is it conferences? Is it publications? Is it peers? I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
0: It's hard for me to, I guess, clean some of the information through through conferences. So I've, I've actually stuck to mostly peers. I, I do go to conferences just to see what's out there. The reason why I go, even though I may miss a set of things, go with the recommendation from peers is because, again, it's sort of a curated list, right? They're probably wetted a set of products. And I do the same for all my peers, too. When I go through evaluations, I try to help them out and and tell them about everything that I've learned about a set of um, products and where their strengths and weaknesses are. Obviously, with a grain of salt that, hey, maybe I've looked at this like one or two years ago and things have changed over time. But that's been my go-to over the past few years.
1: Are there any conferences that you've decided, hey, I can't let this one go because it's just too good? I like the smaller
0: ones these days. So I guess like, you know, besides SF is a good one, it's it's actually very close to me. I can leap home and be there in, in an hour or so. So those and, and peer conferences. And actually I should mention there it, apart from those, I've been looking at a couple of newsletters which been which have been pretty useful. So there's a couple of good AppSec newsletters, there's a couple of good cloud security or infrastructure security newsletters and one arcade detection response ones. Of course, there's a lot of cybersecurity, newsletters, and podcasts. And obviously, again, it's, it's hard to catch up with everything. So I have a, a few, which I try to religiously follow as well. And that's a good social
1: information. Who's getting the shout out?
0: Who's getting the shout out? Clint Gibler is getting the shout out. Sandesh, my friend is getting the shout out. It's like both app focused, I guess, or product security focused. And then, yeah, cloud lists Ross Selyuk actually is like, writes most from a product standpoint. I think that's one interesting one to discover the product side, but also he speaks about things that I generally have thoughts around them and I hear him and I'm like, oh, this his his thoughts are more well-formed than this. Like his, and, and the reason why it's also interesting is because I think a lot of us are security practitioners and we understand the problem inside out. It, it feels like he's bringing in the mindset of generally, hey, how are products built and how security? as a field or security products as a field are maybe not very mature compared to you know some of the products which are consumer facing or better enterprise solutions
1: Nir says the same thing about my thoughts when he hears my thoughts they're better formed yeah Yeah, i agree with everything
0: (laughs) i I, I guess that's like i I honestly believe right as a practitioner who turned into manager i was like I sometimes feel like maybe I should have been less of a practitioner. I should like stop. Like I should forget about what I know. And I should truly focus about, hey, like, you know, the customer side or like, you know, the the user side of the problem. It's sometimes hard to do that when you know all the
2: details. You know what? What I did during COVID, you know, obviously there are like virtual conferences. It was a bit challenging for me to get through virtual conferences. And obviously face-to-face wasn't an option. I did read through newsletters, part of them you mentioned. And... One of the things that I did at that time, and I believe that it's still valuable, is you know from time to time, I reached out to a peer on my network, someone that I didn't speak for a while, or someone that I didn't speak with at all, that I know that other connections trust that individual. And I just had, you know let's talk 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes. Let's just chat about one-on-one, what are the, the challenges that you're trying to solve with The things that you typically see in a conference and speed dating, maybe one or two of those in a month with people that just expand your network and you just discuss privately what are the things that you want to solve. And that's how, at least I got also a lot of like, hey, I didn't even know that there is a problem. Should I start asking those questions? And and um, and especially, I think it was very beneficial when I spoke with people in the same industry as well. So I was in financial services and I found peers in financial services because, you know, there are, very similar problems in that space that are very specific. Um, And therefore, uh, that's kind of how I've got some value out of this. Yeah, yeah, I think that's super valuable for us as practitioners,
0: because you might end up in a different organization in like two years time frame, and you think you know everything about how to solve a set of problems, and then you're like, okay, at least if, if you're good about understanding the context and not dictating solutions, you go in and you say, oh, this is a different version of the problem, and I don't know how to solve this version completely
1: yet. You know, again, we we just wrapped up Security Summer Camp in Vegas, and it was a zoo. There's so many people working on security innovation right now. You mentioned a little bit about your framework that you use, but when you're talking to a vendor or a, a builder, like, what are some of the strategies you use to separate, you know, the, the cream of the crop?
0: Yeah, i think i'm looking at mostly uh, as things are coming up right the ways in which the our field is being modified i guess because of the, some of the solutions and when i say they're being modified of, co- of course you can have like completely out there ideas as well but modified in in ways which seem very obvious to you in a, like you know again going back to the same sort of thread around how are how is someone's version of a solution Like much cooler than what I could ever think of. Right. I think that's what it comes down to. Because when you when I start hearing about some of these solutions, they're talking about exactly the same set of things that I've also already had thoughts about that, hey, I wish I didn't have like this, I could do this slightly better. And they're coming up with a solution which is actually exactly you know, hitting the nerve on, oh, like, you know, this is actually a better way. Like, they're talking to me about a solution, which I could only imagine until this point, and they're taking it two steps forward, right? And I've not actually heard anyone describe that before in in that way. I think that to me is the set of uh, solutions which captivate me the most, and I try to look deeper in them. And and often I've found it, you know, very interesting to go deeper there.
1: So let me ask you uh, another one there. So You're basically saying, you know, what a builder or a company is able to convince you that there's a better way than even the way that you've thought of. That is really indicative that they have another level of understanding of the problem and you're willing to engage with them. Question to you would be when you get sort of bought into this new philosophy that a vendor might be driving. How do you then go about either evangelizing or sharing or testing that philosophy internally within your team? First, first, like like you said, right?
0: I think evangelizing the philosophy itself, I think that's what I start with, right? Because that's the easiest, very clear, hey, here's a better way of doing this. I just found out that, you know, there we could do it, do something this way, right? I'll talk about an example, right, which is very common in application security sort of spaces where visibility into what the state of security is, the the most common question I get, I guess, especially from leadership is, hey, how how are we doing on the risk? How can you show me what the risk is, what the state of the risk is last year versus this year? And this can be answered in hundreds of different ways. I think at that point, it's more art than science for most security leaders, like application security leaders. Like everybody has their way of de- defining things that way. Making that art a little easier, I guess, or like making it like a little more sciency is actually maybe a, a good sort of sort of thing that that I can say. Hey, look, we are we've been doing this art in a certain way, but I just found out that this vendor is able to define some of these things which make it a little more empirical in terms of what we're measuring and, and a little more meaningful when we do it quarter over quarter. Another problem is how we're giving signal to developers. I really wish we could meet them where they work, right? I've always felt that in the last 10 years or so, there's there was enough maybe business and money to be made in developer tooling for developers and security tooling for security people but I think it's like now where those faces are getting a little more saturated. So it's getting to developer tooling for security people, right? I think that's maybe something I'm not saying that there's no innovation at all, but I think it's maturing. Hey, like, you know, how can we do developer tooling for developers, right? And then also the developer
2: tooling for security. So both, both of those spaces are going to be, I think, very interesting. That's, that's super interesting. And, and, you know, you mentioned something that on one hand, of course you need to report on, which is how do you massage the risk and how do you make it as easy as possible to show the trend and the worst of that investment in terms of, let's say, risk reduction. On the flip side, you mentioned, you know, developer tooling or security tooling and vice versa, and I wonder, maybe we'll take an example, okay, where I see quite a lot of that coming back as a question, or actually coming back as a question after they understand that the question wasn't asked enough. And the main thing is, maybe a, a, an example would be, think about IDE tools that are security products, right? Security products. They can be your SaaS, your SCA, your secret scanner, whatever it is that you can just plug it in as an extension and you have it. Now, thing is that many, not most of those plugins, essentially report on everything that is vulnerable. And, but they report it on the client side, if we can call it client side, on the developer workstation. So let's say that you provided this type of capability where you see that mix. How would you know that the tool made a positive impact on the developer side without involving you, meaning. You know, obviously, if there is a pull request, you know, you, you can review it. But how do you know if they introduce a vulnerability and then fix it? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I'm joking because I, I, that's one of the hardest
0: problems, generally speaking, that security, someone who is in a leadership position in security has, right? And it's it, a bad problem in a sense that if you do a good job of actually not making ish, security issues be present in code, you're actually, you'd make it disappear then it's harder for you to explain what you've done, because hey, it never existed. Right? So I think that's actually why most of the security products or in like that have been built in the last several years are truly incentivized to show more data around what's wrong than actually being able to address what's wrong. Right? This is actually a real problem in the industry in the sense that like our industry as such uh, has to move away from that mindset and being able to measure that value. right? First of all, I, I think there is a way to get signal from that as well. Right? Even if you're running a tool in the IDE, I think it's easy to, but I, I won't say it's easy, but I think th- there's ways of essentially getting some telemetry out of, hey, this was a behavior change that was observed as a result of this, and just track that behavior change right, over time. And that truly is shift left in a sense that things have been addressed before they even made it into a Git repository. right? So how can you get any better than that in, in shift left? But more importantly, part of the messaging, and this is deliberately a slow sort of a mindset shift over time it, that I have for my leadership, is hey, let's try to figure out how to do prevention a lot more. Right? It, we're even though I'm saying shift left, even though I'm saying we're going all of these, we're truly still in- incentivizing actually creating a problem and fixing it. And as an industry, let's try to figure out a ways of. Not having the problem be a problem in the first place, right and interestingly, I think this is, is personal thoughts on innovation in the in industry, right with with generative AI with the innovation, if the incumbents are not are going to incumbents by incumbents i mean all the existing security products, they're going to continue focusing on surfacing more and more security issues, they will be disrupted interestingly, generative a- ai actually puts the existing security products in the best position to innovate and get ahead, right? Because they have the most training data across the board for all types of issues. And if they're able to drive their products to actually reduce that ahead of time and actually not have the issues, that's table stakes. That's where they should be going. But if they're going to sit like continue innovating in that space and not thinking of that, right now, the generative AI is not I guess that' great, but you know, three, four, five years down the line, I think enough companies will get hands off on enough training data to say, "Hey, like you know, what we're just going to rewrite on commit and make sure it disappears." Right? And I, I know you guys do some pretty cool stuff on
2: rewriting on commit and things like that. So that that I'm glad there's some interesting ideas there. Okay, I, I do. I I have to tell you something. I, I just have to give you a point. You know, you mentioned about changing developer behaviors, and it's not a security topic. But obviously, I, I speak with security practitioners, but I also speak with engineering leaders. And and one of the recurring topics, uh, you know, that coming that are coming from engineering leaders is, can you show me the top offenders, or can you show me the top offenders? And I don't know if you read economics by any chance, but there's all three. So so there's a story, and I got I have to tell that because it really tells about how. You know how the measurement can become essentially a hack for the ones that are being measured. So, for example, there was one story where the Indian government uh, identified that there are too many cobras, cobra snakes, and uh, there was an incentive that if you bring the snake head, you get paid for it. And and what happened is that the result was that there were actually more cobras. India, in India. And the reason is because people were motivated to have farms of cobra snakes. And, and, and that just changed the behavior. So, so the same way, if you look at that from like an engineering standpoint, if you start measuring developer productivity, or the ones that maybe not only the top offenders, which is very easy, it's more of a wall of shame, but also the top defenders, I can claim that I can create an issue and then solve it. Create an issue and solve it. So I'll be a top offender and defender, and that can kind of shift a bit to the measurements that we're looking at. I don't know if it makes sense, the context, but... No, I, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think people feel developer
0: empathy. Like, I know I personally had this misconception that developer empathy is, you know, maybe translating things better. And that's true. That's part of it is true because security teams are not great at translating their worldview of 100 issues into, hey, upgrade this one library and this will take care of 100 things. I think that's a common translation problem a lot of us have. And the number of people I've coached on that on my teams to say, hey, think of it from the developer perspective. That's great. But what takes it one step further is, hey, maybe just give them a molecular question. That's already happening right now, right? And then one step even further is, and that's what I heard from you and a couple of other people, is can we make it not be a problem in the first place? Can we actually just let them do their thing? Because true developer empathy is realizing, and I guess if you're actually on a developer team, you realize that you're responsible for not just the product functionality, quality, UX. Security actually is the hardest because if you you have to do the functional requirements and the non-functional requirements are, are like performance quality, UX, they still blow up in your face and customers are complaining if something of some of those go wrong. And security, if someone is complaining, it's too late, right? So like, that's why from a security perspective, developer empathy is not being that tenth thing where no, no customer is complaining, but you're internally complaining about it. How can we actually make it so that it's not a problem in the first place, maybe? And then one step further, if it is a problem and they have to act, let's make it as easy as possible, right? I think that's where we need to truly get to.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're going to round out here. I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the security innovations that are you're tracking right now? you maybe alluded to a few that have you most excited and Are there any areas that you feel are largely smoke and mirrors and not really representative of real innovation in space? I mean, I think
0: there's definitely a lot of smoke and mirrors, right? And most of them are narrowly focused, I think, in a sense that there's a lot of solutions I think which are like, hey, I'll build the secret detection. And like most security leaders, my problem is I I don't want a solution for a narrowly defined problem, right? And the ones which are, which excite me the more are the ones which who are thinking about not just like part of it is a technical, hey, static analysis or like software composition analysis as a problem, but are truly thinking about that problem in the context of an organization and then pushing the boundaries on how that has solved, right? That's being solved. So for example. I think a lot of the most innovative products in application security are trying to be, instead of solving a vertical, trying to be a solution which solves developer problems or which prevents security problems in general. Uh, And part of it is that realization of how quickly are they able to integrate? Is it a click of a button a day or two, right? And then how well are they presenting that data at different stages? Right And I mean, I again, like I, I like what you guys are doing with some of the workflows or some of the things that I've always wanted. I've built this personally as internal tooling because no tool existed like a couple of years ago, we built this internally. And what I mean by workflow problem is I find a bug in in a core repository and I need to route it to the right person and the chances of me getting that problem addressed, exponentially reduce the longer I wait from the time the problem is created, right? And the amount of work I need to do and they need to do exponentially increases the longer I wait. So I, I think the challenges like that, I wish there was like an easy way to identify, hey, there's, this is the person responsible, tell them what the fix is, fix that, right? I've seen what they showed me in, in the past and that I know it's been more than a few months and that's pretty exciting. There's a couple of runtime visibility solutions, I guess, which, again, have a different lens into, hey, what's actually a problem? And this is actually the antithesis of that shift left, right? Like, let's actually see if something is really in production, really being exploited, really, not necessarily being exploited, but it is really a problem. And that's where we can say doing this prioritization better. So so the good products, I feel, are solving the prioritization problem, which is, I think, one of the most problem, important problems in, in AppSec they're solving the user experience problem where it's not just, hey, I found these issues. How are you truly driving the remediation, right? And so the user experience piece of that. And I guess part of the user experience is that remediation problem. Hey, how can we make it so that people, it's not a problem in the first place, so the prevention problem, and solving it in ways that have not been done before, which is, hey, the you know, let's alert, 10 times or let's find new ways of alerting and push new things and into, right? I I think those are all tried and tested methods. What I'm seeing as innovation is more help, more real-time help, more more proof that something is wrong than, hey, I I just found this one line which says it's wrong, right?
2: So I think those are all positive trends. You know, interesting point on the remediation. When you look at when it has connectivity to Git repos, obviously you can see the commit. It, it's have that context, of course. But what we noticed is that it, when we look at companies that are a bit older than you know, five years, or less, have at least five years of history in their Git repositories, we noticed that actually there's more than 60% of those issues that author of the commit is no longer in the company. So it's not that you can just Oh, yeah, you know, for the people that work in the company, you know that, hey, you introduced that thing. And if you're in the company and you're still in the context of that project, that fine, you can potentially fix it. But when it comes to employees that are no longer in the company, then you kind of need to find your arms and legs and figure out who are the right people to run the problem to, which ties to one of the challenges that you mentioned. Just interesting data point that we kind of noticed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the
0: even if you're in the company, I, I hardly remember code I wrote like maybe ten days ago. So yeah, it's going to be very interesting to solve some of the older ones. And to be honest, I think that's those are all, all the solutions that claim, oh, like you know, we'll create a merge request and it'll. You just have to merge it, right? We're we're literally taking you to that step. And if all your tests pass, it's good. I think most of us realize that that it the test cases possibly do not cover everything, and any. The, the most meaningful upgrades are probably your framework upgrades or, l- let's say, larger libraries. And every time you upgrade them, they have problems, right? So yeah, it's it's the context and being able to figure out what, what actually will break when it changes. That's Those are definitely the
1: hardest problems. And and then on top of it, finding the right person to do it. So we made a promise when we kicked the podcast off that we would not be pitching Arnica on Seeding AppSec. But if in the rebroadcast there's like a big neon sign behind Tasia with <laughs> the article logo, don't don't uh, blame me. <laughs> let's uh, let's jump into the lightning round, Teja. If you were the leader of an anonymous hacker group, which I'm assuming you're not today, what would it be called? That's easy. I've always
0: used the same. I guess hacker name, I, nobody knows about it because I've actually, like you said, never done anything like that. It, it would be called deja vu in lead speak.
2: Wow. Nice. <laughs> With a T, deja vu.
0: Yeah, I, I guess like I, I would call it, yeah, T3J, right? Like the lead version word, you know, nice. I love it. Okay. How do you take your coffee? It's changed over the years. Uh, I used to only only drink sweet coffee. I didn't know about black coffee. I still don't drink black as much. So, But uh, I, I am a fan of cold brews these days. So I've been doing nitro cold brews. So you don't
2: sleep much and you just get the, the coffee?
0: But I, I'm surprisingly, I'm immune to coffee and like I, can, I can drink coffee and sleep in the next hour.
2: <laughs> Even the cold brew.
0: So, so I drink it because I like the taste, but not because I need it. Like I, I can go days without drinking coffee and I'll, I'll be okay
1: jealous uh (laughs) what advice would you give a young aspiring security professional so
0: security i i guess i I should definitely separate out first the technical and maybe not as technical aspects right so there's definitely a lot of security professionals who are not deeply technical and i think they're super super valuable to the security industry you don't have to really know binary code and you know all the details they bring a lot of value to how security practitioners view the world and how that should change a little bit. So for them, it would be like, hey, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. You're still bringing a lot of values. The way they should learn is by, again, looking at the big picture, understanding, you know, people who are working in it and still asking the questions around that, right? Even though some security practitioners might be curmudgeonly about providing answers because they don't, they, they think they're elite, they're not. And for the security practitioners, I, the biggest advice really is there's a lot of security training material, security focused, hey, like learning and advice and all of that. Um, I think the better security professionals I've met are already always more curious about the underlying technology and underlying trends and like, you know, the bigger picture of how technology is evolving and then understanding security in that context. So I would definitely encourage people to spend more time under, understanding the underlying how technology works and how industry is moving and how how uh, products are moving
1: excellent excellent tasia thank you so so much for joining the podcast it's been such a great pleasure and i learned a ton so thank you so much thank you guys for having me that wraps up this edition of Seeding AppSec. Find and follow the podcast for more application security insights by subscribing on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Arnica's pipelineless security solution can improve your security posture, visit arnica.io or follow arnica.io on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, keep secure and keep seating AppSec.